Well, this morning we're starting a brand new series on Israel. Originally, this is not how I planned to start the year off, is preaching on Israel, but due to everything that's going on in the news, the war that's going on, and multiple questions of Christians and non-Christians about Israel, I thought it would be good for us to spend this morning and the next four weeks talking about Israel. Now, we're going to do something different during these five weeks. At least, we're going to start with it this morning. We'll see how it goes, and then we'll go beyond that. But at the end of the message, there's going to be a time for you to ask questions about what we're covering. And you can do that by texting your messages to the number that's on the screen. Uh, That number will be up on the screen throughout the message. So if you have some questions, just text them to that number, and we'll endeavor to answer as many of them as we can at the end of each of these messages. So we're going to focus on Israel. And there's lots of questions that people have. Here are some of the questions that people are asking. What is Israel? And all these questions we're going to endeavor to answer during the course of this series of messages. So what is Israel or who is Israel? What is Zionism? You've probably heard that term being thrown around. What does Zionism mean? Does Israel have a right to the land, the land that they're in? Is modern Israel a fulfillment of biblical prophecy? Should we support Israel as individuals? Should we support them? As a church, should we support them? As a nation, should we support Israel? Is Israel immune from criticism? Can we not say anything bad about Israel? Or if they do something that's not right, are we not allowed to criticize that which they've done? Has the church replaced Israel. There's theology that teaches that Israel has been replaced by the church, and the church is today's Israel. And then, does Israel have a future? Does God have a plan for the nation of Israel in the future? Now, before we jump in here this morning, I want you to come back with me over 4,000 years. I want to go back to a land called Ur of the Chaldees. It's a large city on the banks of the Euphrates River. That river still exists today. It flows through Iraq and empties into the Persian Gulf, not far from the nation of Kuwait. Ur was one of the most important cities of the ancient world. In Abraham's day, it's thought over 250,000 people lived there. There's an ancient university that was there. There was a large library that was there. It was a center for mathematics, astronomy, and for international commerce. It was like, if we wanted to compare it to a modern-day city, sort of like Chicago, New York, or London. It was also the center of pagan worship. Most of the people of Ur worshipped the moon goddess called Nana. 
We know from places in the Old Testament that Abraham's family, they were all idol worshipers. And very likely, Abraham as well was a worshiper of idols. So let's go back to that time over 4,000 years ago. There is no Jewish nation. There are no Jews. But living in the Ur of Chaldees is a man by the name of Abram. And God chooses to appear to him and to make promises to him. Now, right off the start, I want us to think through for a moment. Does God have a right to do that? Does God have a right to choose to go to an idol worshiper and to speak directly to that one that was worshiping idols? Yes, our God, the creator of everything, has a right to do whatever he chooses to do. So there in that pagan city, God appears to Abram and speaks to it. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 8. Or join us on your phones or, or tablets. Genesis chapter 12. We're going to see what God does and what God says. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is what God says to Abram. It's what we know as the Abrahamic covenant, the agreement that God makes with Abraham. Some have called this the most important passage in all of the Old Testament. And as we're going to see, there are other covenants and other promises that flow from this passage and this covenant that God has made. So let's look at God's promise to Abraham. Let's look at the covenant, first of all, stated. What is the covenant? And we see, first of all, Abram is to become a great nation. God says in verse 2, I will make you a great nation. Later on in Genesis chapter 17, in verse 6, this is expanded upon. For in Genesis 17 verse 6, God says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into, notice there, nations, plural. Not just one nation, but nations. 
and kings shall come from you. Abraham is promised by God that he'll not just be the head of a family, but that he will be the head of a nation and be the head of nations in the plural. Well, that one nation, that great nation that's promised in chapter 12 is Israel. So let's define Israel, okay? Because there's lots of confusion. Uh, what? What are you talking about when you talk about Israel? Israel is all the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's also known as the Jews, the Jewish people, Israelites, Hebrews, etc. It is not limited to the present political and national state in the Middle East, which is merely a part of the whole. Nor is it limited to those who adhere to the religion of Judaism only. So in other words, when we talk about Israel, we're talking about the descendants of Abraham through Isaac and through Jacob. That's our meaning when we use the term Israel. And God has promised that Israel is to become a great nation. Abram is to become a great nation. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as God's people. That starts in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. In Psalm 135, verse 4, they are called God's treasured possession. And in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8, they are called the apple of his eye. Have you heard that expression, someone's the apple of someone's eye? That comes right from the scripture. And Israel is the apple of God's eye. From Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 10, we know that God did not choose Israel because they were strong or mighty. In fact, God chose Israel when they were small and weak, a people without a land, beginning with a single man, Abraham, God built a powerful nation. So Abraham will be a great nation. Secondly, Abraham will be blessed. Uh, to be blessed means to have, have favor with. God is going to have favor upon Israel. He's going to have favor upon Abraham and his descendants. Next, Abraham's name will be made great. All of this is right there in verse 2. Abraham's name will be made great. And certainly that promise made over 4,000 years ago has certainly been true. Jews, Christians, Muslims all look to Abraham as the father of their faith. His name is known worldwide to millions of people over 4,000 years after he lived. There is probably, other than the name of Jesus, no more honored name in history than the name Abraham, who is honored by Jews, Muslims, and Christians. Think of the great name of Abraham for a second. He's revered by the followers of three world religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. He is the founder of the nation of Israel. 
He is mentioned by name 308 times in the Old and New Testaments. He is the preeminent man of faith in the Bible. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. He is a man whose life changed the course of world history. God's promise to Abraham is that his name would be made great. Abraham will also be a blessing. Not only is Abraham going to be blessed by God, but Abraham is going to be a blessing to others. And those who bless Abraham will be blessed, and those who dishonor Abraham or those who curse Abraham will be cursed. Now, I will bless, that promise, I will bless, is an imperative that God is saying, God is saying this is something that he will do. God promises, I will bless you, Abraham. And those who bless you, in the Hebrew, those who bless you is in the plural, meaning it's going to be a whole multitude of people that will bless Abraham, and they will be blessed because they bless Abraham. Those who curse you or those who dishonor you will be cursed. Now, that's in the singular. Isn't it amazing that those who bless is spoken of in the plural, speaking of multitudes, but when it speaks of those who curse Abraham, it is used in the single. The individuals who curse Abraham will be cursed. Now, there's two different words that are used for cursed here, or dishonor versus being cursed. Uh, the first word, even though there's so, some overlap between the two different words, the first word is not as bad as the second word. Uh, the first word is to have a, a strong opinion against. Those who have a strong opinion against you, Abraham, will be cursed that is a stronger word. The second word that is used there means that there will be a ban placed upon them. What is it they are being banned from? They are being banned from the blessing of God. So those who speak evil of Abraham and of his descendants of this nation, they who dishonor Abraham will have brought upon them from God, a ban, a curse upon them in that God's blessing will not be upon them. So those who bless Abraham are going to be what? Blessed. Those who dishonor Abraham are going to be what? Cursed. Certainly, that has been borne out throughout history. If you just go back and study the history of how the Jews have been persecuted and what has been done to the Jews and follow what happens after that, you'll see that these promises have been kept. In 
2015, Israel's prime minister, current prime minister now as well, Benjamin Natu, dressed the United Nations. This was right after the United States had entered into the nuclear deal with Iran. And he, Benjamin Nahu, refused to celebrate that deal, saying from his opinion, it would make peace less likely and would make war more likely. He argued that that deal made Iran more dangerous. In fact, the week before he gave his speech, the commander of Iran's army publicly proclaimed, we will annihilate Israel for sure. Now these were the words of Netanyahu's address, part of the words, to the United Nations. For in every generation, there were those who rose up to destroy our people. In antiquity... We face destruction from the ancient empires of Babylon and Rome. In the Middle Ages, we faced inquisition and expulsion. And in modern times, we have faced pogroms and the Holocaust. Yet the Jewish people preserved. And now, another regime has arisen, swearing to destroy Israel. That regime would be wise to consider this. I stand here today representing Israel, a country 67 years young, but the nation state of a people nearly 4,000 years old. Yet the empires of Babylon and Rome are not represented in this hall of nations. Neither is the thousand-year Reich. Those seemingly invincible empires are long gone, but Israel lives, the people of Israel live. Those who bless Israel will be what? And those who curse Israel or dishonor Israel will be what? Cursed. Next, we see that all the families of the earth will be blessed in Abraham. That is in verse 3. All the earth, not just the Jews, not just Israel, all the earth will be blessed through Abraham. Five times in this covenant, God says, this is what I will do. And one day, all of the world is surely going to be blessed through Abraham when the world has a king who rules and there is peace and pleasure and prosperity all over this earth. See, we need to understand in this Abrahamic covenant, there are three aspects of it. There's the aspect of the land promise that is given, the seed promise that is given, and the blessing that has given, the blessing for all. The land land promise is carried out in the land covenant, 
a covenant that God makes with Israel of specific land that he will give to them. And we'll talk more about that next week. There's the seed covenant, and that comes through the Davidic covenant. The promise by God to David, which flows out of the Abrahamic covenant, that there will be David's descendant who will sit upon the throne of Israel and will rule the entire earth. And then we have the blessing covenant, which is the new covenant. The new covenant that we participate in. Remember when Jesus introduced the Lord's Supper and he took the cup, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Because of the new covenant, we as Gentiles, as part of the whole earth that is blessed through Abraham, we participate in the Abrahamic covenant in that we are blessed through this new covenant that is made. And and hear me this morning. Here is the message for every single one of us here. God has a plan for you through Christ who came from Abraham. Read the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew opens up Jesus Christ who was the son of David, the son of Abraham, or the descendant of Abraham. From Abraham flows this new covenant, and the Savior of the world came and went to the cross and shed his blood and offered salvation to all who will put their faith and trust in him. All of this is flowing out of a promise that God made over 4,000 years ago. And through time and progressive revelation, it has been made clearer and clearer to us how this is being fulfilled. So friends, I want you to to see and to know this morning that there is only salvation and there is only the blessing of God through Jesus Christ who came and offers the new covenant to those who will trust and believe in him. So that's the covenant stated. Next, I want us to see the covenant ceremony. And that's found in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 21. If you have your Bibles, turn over there. This is the ceremony. So there's an agreement that's made, and then there's a a ceremony that they had when covenants were made. Follow with me. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Isaac hasn't been born yet. So Abram is saying to God, you say you're going to bless me, but I'm old and I don't have any children. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. 
and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Faith is always the way to right relationship with God. Abraham believes God and believes the promises, and God counts that to Abraham as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Let me tell you what's going on here. This is how they would make a covenant in those days. They would take the animals, they would split them, lay them out on either side. Then for the covenant, whether it was a conditional or unconditional covenant, was decided on who passed through those carcasses of the animals. Now let's talk about the two type of covenants real quickly here. There is a conditional covenant. Most of the covenants we enter into, agreements, are two-part covenants. Each party, and the covenant is in effect as long as both parties do what they promise to do. For instance, when you purchase a home, you enter into a covenant. You agree to pay for the house, and they agree to give you the title to the house. As long as you keep your end, the bank keeps its end. If you don't make the payments, what happens? You don't get the house. They take it. Why? Why? Because that is a conditional covenant. And in that case, both parties would pass through these animals. In an unconditional covenant, one person makes a promise and says, this is what I will do, irregardless of what you do. This is what I am committing to do. Now let's follow here. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. The sun was going down. A deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. God is predicting and prophesying the nation of Israel will go to Egypt and they will be there for 400 years before they come out of the land. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. As for you... You shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, 
from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now notice what is going on here. Who passes through the carcasses? Does Abraham pass through the carcasses? The answer is no, he's asleep. Only God passes through it. This is an unconditional covenant that God makes with Abraham. It is totally dependent on what God promises he will do. And it is not dependent upon the actions of Abraham. It is totally dependent. God says, this is what I'm going to do. And it's only God who passes through. The Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional covenant. And so is the new covenant. That's why our salvation is secure in Christ. Because it's not dependent on what we do. It's dependent on what God has promised that he would do. Now there's the covenant ceremony. And then there's the, the sign of the covenant. And just because of time this morning, we're not going to Genesis chapter 17. But in Genesis chapter 17, the sign of the covenant is going to be circumcision. This is God's sign that this covenant is to be in place. And then we have the promise of the land. Did you notice as we read in chapter 12 and as we read in chapter 15, the mention of the land? We'll talk about that in depth next week. But we have the promise of the land. So what do I want us to know this morning as we're finishing up here? God is a promise keeper who keeps his promises. God made promises to Abraham that he has kept and that he is going to keep. That's why we can have such confidence in our God. He does not lie. He does not change. He is immutable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for each of us here, he has promised that those who put their faith and trust in him, he'll give to us what? Eternal life. And there's no other way except through him. So if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I urge you, I beg with you, put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we're going to pause right here and we're going to see what questions we have. Uh, Pastor Bruce is going to come up and, and join me, and if the questions are too hard, I'll just have him answer them. Well, <laughs> no blinglace this morning. Um, all right, so if you have questions, you can still text those in. This is, a, this is an easy one to start off with because I think people are wondering are you still going to Israel this year? No. That's it. <laughs> that doesn't have to do with the, the, the message. The trip has been canceled. Uh, it's just not a safe place to be right now. Okay. Are Messianic Jews nearly the same as Christians? What are the differences? All right. Messianic Jews, Jewish people who are saved today and from the day of Pentecost forward, 
They are all a part of the church. You know, that's the mystery of the church that Paul tells us in Ephesians. Jews and Gentiles together in one body. But they also, it doesn't mean they cease being Jews, because if they are Jews by their heritage, by their descendants, then they are still Jews. So they have a special type of, of place where we can kind of say they get the best of both worlds in that there is that double blessing of being Jewish and also that blessing of being a part of the church. Why does Paul allegorize the Abrahamic covenant in Galatians 4 and identify the church as Israel in the last section of chapter 3? Okay, first of all, I'm going to challenge the interpretation of that passage that talks about Paul calling the church Israel. Incidentally, we will be having a message that's going to deal with that and deal specifically with that passage of Scripture. So uh, you're going to have to wait. You need to come through the five weeks to hear the answer to that question. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it here this morning. And then same would be at the end of chapter 3 about, you would say the same thing with end of chapter 3 about the Jews, the church as Israel, but also with the Abrahamic covenant in Galatians 4 allegorizing it. That's all going to yes. be addressed at that. Okay. Yeah, okay. we're all going to, we'll talk about all of those issues. Uh, I, I am going to present to you that God has never referred to the whole church as Israel. And we'll, we'll look at that as we look at the thing, has Israel or has the church replaced Israel? Please know that in replacement theology, where they believe the church has replaced Israel, they have to reinterpret all of these promises. Land can no longer mean land, but we'll talk more about that next week and in the coming weeks. Okay, uh, the Jews are God's people, but most don't accept Jesus. Does this mean that most will not go to heaven? Yes, that's exactly what it means. Uh, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, we're going to deal with a passage that talks about all Israel will be saved. What's that mean, that all Israel will be saved? Uh, we'll talk about that in a coming message that is doing it. But if the Jews reject their Messiah, and actually the Jewish leaders, when Jesus came, we're going to look at the rejection of Messiah. They rejected Jesus as their Messiah, and Jesus had very strong words for them. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way. What ultimate benefit does the new covenant provide to unbelieving Jews? Does anyone blessed under the new covenant go to hell? Well, unbelieving Jews are not participants in the covenant. The new covenant. The new covenant. They're not participants in the new covenant. And so, therefore, once again... As any Gentile who rejects Christ, any Jewish person that rejects Christ is not saved. And because of that, they will suffer eternally separated from God. This is not just because you were born a Jew by birth is not a ticket for you to get into heaven. That's not true. 
So I think a couple men sent these ones in. They're wondering, how did Abraham convince all the grown men to endure the painful circumcision, especially if they didn't share Abraham's belief in God? <laughs> and, and just as a follow-up, another question, do you still have to get circumcised to show faith? So there you go. First of all, the, the second question was a battle in the early church because all the Jews were telling all the Gentiles when they believed they had to be circumcised. Uh, and the Apostle Paul strongly rejects that. Uh, also, Paul will talk about circumcision. True circumcision is not just the outward sign, but the inward circumcision of the heart. I mean, can you imagine Abram for, for just a second? And I think I heard a Christian comedian uh, talk about this and Abraham responding to God. Really? Noah gets a rainbow and I get circumcision? Uh, can we talk about this sign for a minute? But, uh, but so how did Abram do it? It's an act of obedience. And so Abram's household would have followed him in doing it because they were underneath his leadership. And you'll remember in the Old Testament, there's time where Moses was not circumcised, had not circumcised his son, and God was going to kill him because he had not circumcised his son. If the Jews don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, who is it in their beliefs they're waiting on? And who will be the person to them that will check all the boxes in their belief? Okay, what they are waiting on is a Messiah that is coming as king. In the Old Testament, they fail to be able to differentiate between the first coming of Messiah when he comes as a suffering savior and the second coming of Messiah when he comes as a reigning some people are being funny with some of these. Uh, well, you don't have to read them all. No, I know. Okay, we're going to take they're... one more. Right. One more question. This is what we have time for. Why do unbelieving Jews not offer sacrifices anymore if they do not believe Jesus is their atoning sacrifice? That's a great question. Right. Because for the sacrifices to take place, they have to take place at a specific place. They have to occur according to the law of the Old Testament. And so in order for those sacrifices to begin again, and I believe the Bible is clear, they will begin again because there is going to be a temple during the tribulation period. And there is going to, at least during the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, they are going to be making sacrifices to God. And it may surprise you, and we're not going to go into all of this, but there are Jews today who are doing, studying the, uh, the ancestors of current Jewish individuals to find those who are of the priestly tribe and those who are able to offer those sacrifices and also the preparing of the sacrifices. So the temple is going to be rebuilt, and they will reinitiate those sacrifices. Well, I hope that helps, and we'll be talking more next Sunday. We're going to deal with Zionism and the land promise, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that as we move forward.